Okay, hello everyone and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. Hope y'all are doing well down in the cold, cold Guelph. Yeah, if there's a good, uh, you know, sunny side to uh, this cold weather, is uh, we're unlikely to be uh, bothered by any pesky waterfowl that may or may not be hiding gnomes inside. Good. Wow, well, hey, gnomes are cool. <laughs> well, it depends on the gnome. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. But yeah, I don't think you can trust any gnome that's hiding in a pelican or a, a wa- like a heron or anything like that, or a waterfowl or like, God forbid, a parakeet, man-eating parakeets, am I right? And Guelph does have herons, herons and cranes. Cranes count too, so that's right. There's a risk. There's a risk. There is a risk. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be fun getting into this movie this week, which all of this is in a oblique reference to, or maybe not so oblique. Um, anyway, end yeah, credits. Depends how you do it, I'd say. Depends how you do it. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new animated fantasy film, The Boy and the Heron, which you can now see at a theater near you and uh, doing pretty well. It was number one at the box office. Never thought uh, I'd live to see the day when Ayo Miyazaki is number one at the box office and everyone is uh, dooming and glooming about Disney. On its 100th birthday, no less. I know, it's crazy. Well, my theory is because it's on its 100th anniversary, it's not really caring so much about the blockbusters. It's spending time on all these. And if you go on Disney+, Plus, you can see them. They're just doing remasters and quick little short remakes of current, like Mickey Mouse and characters that now that are 100, uh, Mm. rights rights to them are opening, right? Right. Uh, um, So Disney's trying to, you know, they're just making new works of it to, to bring that back. Like, no, 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 this is ours. Let's do that. Let's yeah. do that. So yeah. I, I personally, I think that might be one of the reasons they're just not focusing as much on uh, on films. It's strange that because Guardians of the Galaxy three, it did really well. You know what I mean? It did. So it it might just be the quality of uh, the films this year for Disney. Like the Marvels didn't do good, and um, uh, like review wise, and mm. uh, what is it right now? Wonder one, not not wonder. Wish, maybe, wish, wish. Yeah, and Wish did not get good reviews either. No, I. I... Mixed, they got like mixed. mixed, mixed. I mean, and Marvels was kind of mixed, although I think it's a positive on Rotten Tomatoes. I know I thought it was entertaining. It's not a great movie, but it's an entertaining movie. Okay, but... I'll catch it. In. Relation, she is great. Yeah, it's sixty-one percent. Okay, it's higher than I believed. It's like on the cusp. <laughs> yeah. Not that, not that there's really anything mathematical to how Rotten Tomatoes doles out tomatoes, but um, leaving that aside, uh. We're going to spend the first part of our show looking ahead to the year that starts in three weeks, I believe, as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're going to look at some of our most anticipated movies for 2024. It's going to be probably a weird year because uh, the release schedule wasn't terribly impacted by the strikes. I mean, some stuff get got moved and maybe that you know, uh, not to make any predictions, but maybe some of those choices will end up on our most anticipated for 2024 list. But um, the movie year uh, or the movie schedule year kind of unfolded as it was meant to for like maybe 90 percent, 89, 90 percent. But we're going to really feel the impact, I think, in 2024 of, you know, five months of writer strike, five months of actor strike. Um 
I mean, obviously some of that overlapped, but you know, the actors only got back to work a couple of weeks ago and um, yeah. So it may be uh, kind of a slim pickings year for, well, at least for the big Hollywood movies, uh, a lot of indie movies got waivers. So yeah, they did. I know uh, a two four got uh, a heavy amount. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think it'll be okay. Um, there's some films. Yeah. Like Dune two. That's uh Mm. were pushed but I, I don't think that i'll have any damage on them no although like dune 2 is gonna like have like a month to itself at imax to but so if anything beneficial yeah it might it might still be you know it, it's coming out in the spring um so it may uh it may actually make a bigger splash we'll have to wait and see mm-hmm so for now, let's get into our most anticipated movies for 2024. Peter, why don't you kick us off? All right. So my third choice um, is Drive-Away Dolls, the uh, oh. upcoming film from Ethan Cohen. Um, so I, I like the Cohen Brothers film, but I actually really enjoy Ethan Solo. Mm. Um, I think it was him that did... The, I don't know. He did it with Joel. The The Ballad of Buster Shrugs was in him. Okay, okay. So mm. yeah, I just like the Coen Brothers films, and you know, it's just the one of them. But uh, here's hoping it's it's of their quality. Um, and for me, what I'm really liking about it in comparison to the others, um, it is a a, a woman lead. It's it's an actress starring, which is a bit more rare for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in particular, it's Margaret Qualley, who hasn't done like I don't know if she's been the main lead or star of anything, but uh, she did have a very heavy role in um, the that Quentin Tarantino classic uh, about Once Upon a Time. In yeah, Hollywood. yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> um, she's Pussycat in it. Who's like a real one of the real Manson? Um, uh, I guess Manson wives or daughter, whatever the title was for them. Um, she's ah. great in that. And then for me personally, she's also in the HBO Leftovers from back in the day. And she was the daughter of um, Thoreau. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's, yeah, she's great in it. So it's really, uh, it's going to be great seeing her as the uh, the lead in something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also, her character is uh, gay. She's a gay character. So it's mm-hmm. it's a Coen Brothers, but it's, you know, it's a starring a gay woman, which will be different for them. But, you know, I think it'll be great. Um and she's just yeah and uh all the uh the side actors too beanie feldstein will be great um uh matt damon always fun there <laughs> and what i'm most excited for because i don't know if i've seen him in a film yet uh even though he's like a-list now uh pedro pascal right he's mm-hmm. uh for me at least more uh of a tv guy right um mm. so it'd be really awesome seeing him seeing him on the big screen and he's at the level where i, I don't think there'll be any any problem with that at all mm. um He's in a lot of TV shows, but he's not typecast as any singular character, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll be good on the big screen. Um, yeah. Uh, so is this what I'm curious about now? Is this mm. the is this the first Ethan Cohen solo directed? Because that'll be really fascinating. Technically, for some, some reason I thought he did Ballad of Scruggs by himself. No, that was the last oh. one but the two of them. Okay, so did Joel do some solo? Joel did uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth. There you go. That's what I'm thinking about. Oh, Tragedy of Beth is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a bit more hesitant now for uh, the one I'm talking about. <laughs> it's the other. It's by the. But you know what? That's another good reason why I'm excited for it to see his first uh, solo directed, and um, you know the quality of that. Will it live up to his bros, his his brothers? Because um, I actually like the last king of not the last. Well, I did love that. Um, but the Lady Macbeth, the thing about it is, I actually like. I would say preferred it, or at least its style, to a lot of the Coen Brothers films. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was really great um but just more like a straight up drama there wasn't any kind of focus on coen brothers shtick regarding cinematography and, and style um so yeah it'll be fun to see where he goes yeah this is actually one of my picks too um a lot of it is you know same reason as you um this does feel like a coen brothers movie um in that um you know it deals with uh kind of uh accidental criminals and stupid criminals and misunderstandings and mishaps and um, it'll be the most similar to like burn after reading i find it'll be that kind of fast-paced comedy yeah it's it's definitely got that it, it's definitely on the comedy side of the coens more than the no country for old men side of the coens <laughs> um but y- you mentioned about uh ethan's um directing solo directing career he actually did a doc uh last year called jerry lee lewis trouble in mind mm-hmm. which was about uh jerry, jerry lewis. lewis yeah who be funny who, if it wasn't yeah oh uh, be ironic but um so he made that now he's making uh this and as, as you said it does star margaret qualley um she's co-starring with an actress named geraldine viswanathan who was in um blockers bad education the beanie bubble uh, yeah yeah blockers was so good one of my uh one of my faves this year mm-hmm. and their friends recent years right they're friends they decide to take a trip to tallahassee like margaret qualley's just broken up with her girlfriend and uh the geraldine uh viswanathan character needs a change so they um go to a, a car rental uh rent a car uh to head to tallahassee uh unfortunately for them they've been confused with somebody else who was coming up to pick up a car to go to tallahassee and uh there is a steel briefcase in the trunk a mysterious steel briefcase we don't see what's inside so um some pulp fictiony vibes there um but yeah coleman domingo bill camp pedro pascal matt damon bernie feldstein uh this is a this is a coen brothers cast for mm-hmm. sure um i remember <laughs> uh that nicholas cage movie where he's playing himself the unbearable weight of massive talent if i remember the title of it correctly um pedro pascal is definitely doing coen brothers in that um or (laughs) you know and that's uh, a feature it's a film oh yeah no it's a film that came out okay so you you've seen him in the big screen yeah he'll be good yeah no he's done a couple of different things um but i mean that's kind of like the most blatant comedy i think i've seen him in um I think it's the unbearable weight of massive talent. That's what I think that's what it's called. Um, but you know, he, in that movie, he's, um, he's a rich guy who rents Nicholas cage for the weekend for, uh, just to hang out. And, uh, he's supposed to be like a criminal, like sort of mob boss. Um, but there's a bit of mistaken identity in that. So that has a very Cohen vibe to it. Um, but yeah, like the the trailer is great. The trailer, I mean, it also it also doesn't look like a Coen Brothers movie. Um, they're, they're not. No, working. that's what I was. Yeah, it's like cinematography style is is quite different. The style is different. Um, the cinematography. Uh, the cinema- yeah, the cinematographer's name is Ari uh, Wager, who's from Australia. So like, there's a different look to it, even though the tone in the trailer is like very very. Even before it comes up, like from Ethan Coen, I was like, no, this isn't. This is a Coen Brothers movie or a Coen Brother movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it looks fun. Um, it looks zippy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe it's gonna be a good time. I mean, certainly you can't go wrong with this cast. And apparently, this is uh something that Ethan has had in the cooker for about 
20 years. Um, so I don't know if like maybe Joel had veto and was like, no, we're not going to do this stupid driveway dolls movie you want to do. And now <laughs> he could do it. But um, hey, I mean, even if that's the case, that's even know, if that's be, the case, be, I mean, it'll be fun to kind of analyze the film and be like, now, why was he hesitant? Why was Joel hesitant <laughs> for this? Was I he mean, right? Was he wrong? It's a good point. I mean, this it's going to be an, it's going to be a good sit either way. It's like if it's bad, um, we get to just we get to know once and for all who the good Coen brother is. And if it if it is good, then um, it, it's further grist for the mill. Um, I, and I guess we'll definitely know which like Coen brother is kind of like the the dreary drama queen and which one is the the funny guy. But yeah, um, the difference <laughs> though, what we got to think about this from Ethan Cohen is he mm-hmm. like wrote it too, right? This is just mm-hmm. a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lady Macbeth. I mean, it wasn't the uh, Joel that wrote it, right? It was Shakespeare. Oh, so. well, Shakespeare. You got to, I mean... yeah, you got to give Ethan some credit for this. But of course, the the story, it's very different than the. Well, actually, no, it is based. I think the dialogue is all solely from the original writing of Shakespeare's, is it not? But uh, well, I mean, it's, it'll be it's... great seeing something from a Cohen that's like fully original. It's amalgamated, right? Because it's like the watching the like the play itself is like three hours long so it, uh, i think the movie was so i don't think if the movie was even two hours long no 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 they so, cut a lot of course so i mean there's pr- there's prodigious editing and i think that's the thing with shakespeare a- adaptations it's it's not so much about um what you do as as what you don't do you know where do you put the priority yes. in terms of yeah but um all right let's get to your number two then okay so number two for me um it wouldn't uh, surprise me if you picked it too. Uh, the bike riders, the upcoming mm. bike riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if people know, but it recently, I think a couple, maybe about a week ago, um, I think it was it was Disney. Somebody lost it, but yep. then it was like immediately bought out. Um, and just in case people weren't aware, it wasn't like they got rid of it on purpose. It wasn't like nobody wanted it. It was hard to get. It was they didn't have enough money. And then yeah. it was like a quick, there was a bunch of people offering money for it. It was like a big auction for the bike riders, not the bike riders trying to <laughs> nab someone, right? Not trying to, not, it's not, not like it, the the Chris Pine film, apparently. The TIFF one is, is uh, that's what it's having trouble doing right now, finding a studio to pick it up. Yeah, it's not a Sound um, of Freedom situation. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not like huge into motorcycles. Like I've never ridden them. I'm not a Hells Angels guy or anything. I find that um, hard to believe. I, I, uh, I love me some Austin Butler. She's so great. Mm-hmm. It'll be amazing seeing him again as a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dune will be great, but he's like, he'll be the lead villain. One he's of the lead villain. villains yeah. with, with, yeah, with Waltz. But um, he will be just like full on main, main in this him and Jodie Comer, um, who also I haven't seen her in too much, but she's, you know, what I have seen her in, she's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, the, she's an English actor. They're usually they're they're of a higher quality on average, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and another more strange reason why I'm excited for it. When I was like back in the day, I didn't really like Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. um, Austin Butler. He was okay, but like I didn't love him. <laughs> but then there's been some films like Dune and Elvis that have made me like just totally shift my mind. Like I love them now, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. This film, I'm not a huge Tom Hardy guy. Mm. I don't like Michael Shannon. Will mm. they change my mind? Will they be able to in this film? I saw the trailer. They look good. So I'm just curious if they'll be able to to shift my mind. Um, and what I also like about it, I like whenever something's based on. I know people complain. There's like so many biopics and everything. But um, mm. 
especially when it's like a novel based on real life as well. I'm totally okay with it being a film based on it. Um, and this one is like just like a photographic account from what's his name here, Danny Lyon of uh, Outlaws in mainly Chicago motorcycle clubs. Mm. Um, so it'll be a really good depiction of of that through his photos. It'll be fun to see how that how that goes. I might uh, I'm not gonna buy it. I'm not crazy or anything but um you know if if indigo if it's not um like pl- like uh wrapped up because they do mm. have some photo books you can't look through if it's not wrapped up i'll of course give a, a little look through get some uh, prep for it mm. um mm-hmm. but yeah uh, mainly honestly just like i said it's just austin butler it'll be amazing seeing him just riding around in a uh, <laughs> bike and uh even though like i don't i'm not like a part of the culture like there is some cool elements of it i've seen mm. um i've read his work on the Hell's Angels accounts, um, oh, yeah. uh, Timothy uh, Hunter S. Thompson's um, right. and his the Gods of Doc deals a lot with that, so it'll be cool to see another, um, but more fictional depiction. But that is also based on real motorcyclist accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. I'm just also really curious in today's day and age how they'll be portrayed. Right? Will they be depicted as cool? Will some of the, you know, like uh, gender issues or whatever, like be brought up? Like, will there brutality be shown like will will like austin or tom hardy maybe like will they will there be like a sex scene that's close <laughs> to the art like the r word the you know like mm. it, it isn't real i'm just curious like how dark it will be or mm. if it'll just be more of like a fun kind of bike ride i'm cool either way there's just a lot i'm curious about mm-hmm. um and i haven't really seen any jeff nichols i'm not fully aware of his work so that'll be oh he did mud which i haven't seen but it's one of my parents uh favorites of recent years so or i guess the last decade so mud's mud's good yeah yeah it's um, a good film it's a good film midnight special's good take shelter's good uh loving's good i mean i mean all these are different movies that are kind of different and the, the they're all movies, very different yes they're all not... very different movies but I, I don't think he's had a i haven't seen shotgun stories but i don't think he's had a bum yet he's no he's he's pretty good um let me ask you one more thing um have you seen priscilla yet uh no i haven't oh because i was gonna i was gonna i was gonna say who's the better elvis in your mind oh i'm not sure um because for what i've seen he does look really great priscilla and i love um i love euphoria so i really jacob alordi yeah yeah i like him as an actress it'll be i'm definitely i'm gonna see it my parents my dad um they didn't like it very much but they don't like coppola she doesn't really put too much depth into the or layers into the character mm, i guess it's not interesting it's not, it's not dialogue heavy uh heavy yeah but, I've, no, I've, some mixed, I've, I've some mixed i have some i have some mixed feelings about priscilla but jacob alordi isn't one of them he's i thought he was really good oh yeah um, no uh i haven't he's awesome i don't know if you've watched euphoria but he's like he's no. probably one of the he's probably one of the best in it too his character is evil but like he does it well <laughs> no i i haven't seen euphoria um but in terms of something i will see um it actually comes out in about a month uh this is next on my list it's called the beekeeper it's directed by david ayer and you know i'm going lowbrow uh peter went highbrow with the bike riders uh i'm going lowbrow with the beekeeper um david ayer the director of uh fury uh suicide squad he wrote the screenplay for training day um he hasn't been great lately. like a lot of the like beekeeper not beekeeper uh suicide squad and bright which was based on the max landis screenplay um both of those were high concept not really great films <laughs> um but beekeeper seems to be more his speed it play it stars jason statham 
who plays a man named Mr. Clay. You see him in the beginning of the trailer. He's a literal beekeeper. Um, he's looking after uh, this property owned by uh, a rich lady played by Felicia, Felicia Rashad. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets, she loses all her money in a fishing scam. And this is when you see Jason Statham go up to this office where the fishing scam is set up and blows it up. He blows up the building to mm-hmm. get revenge for Felicia Rashad. And that seems to be the beginning of the story because he's apparently a secret agent who's with this organization called the beekeepers. They take care of the hive. You see, um, <laughs> he works outside the law. And so it's about him going after these like grubby, dirty one percenters who are ripping off old ladies. Um, so it looks like fun. Uh, anyway. Yeah. That seems like, like a fun, a fun action. <laughs> so it's going to, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Jason Statham beating up uh, greedy jerks. One of the things I'll say about, <clears throat> I mean, it's not going to make my top five, but uh, the Meg 2, um, one of the things I will say about that film is that it lets J- just Jason Statham do like action like against other humans and not just killer giant sharks, which th- there's this really strong opening sequence where he's, um, I think it's a, a boat that's like dropping toxic waste into the ocean. And so he sneaks mm-hmm. aboard to get the evidence and then he has to fight a bunch of guys to to get off the ship again and it's a really strong opening sequence that uses Jason Statham well because he's a good action guy good fighter but um that's what I want just just what I want Jason Statham to do I want him to beat up a bunch of greedy jerks and blow stuff up and light people on fire with um pure honey which apparently is flammable yeah Um, what is it actually in real life that's crazy like the pure honey is apparently I googled it I'm not like take that spoilers for the film but yeah that's that's the truth anyway uh, <laughs> but yeah no, i don't uh, think science is, is a spoiler for films it's not. well it, it, it may be this may be a matter for Mythbusters, but uh, apparently from what i understand from like two seconds of googling i did like if you get pure pure honey like straight from the hive you can light it on fire that's cool yeah i'm gonna try it out <laughs> with your with your biker gang yep yes exactly fair enough all right uh where are we let's get to your number three yeah number three um so even though i'm not usually a big horror guy uh i'm excited for nosferatu it'll be very Mm. interesting to see how um like one of the greatest like one of one of the greatest horror films ever is uh how how it's going to be done um and in particular i think the who they picked for director robert eggers is is very wise his film's very Mm -hmm. scary but his focus of course also on um you know the critical reception like just it's quality Mm -hmm. um yeah that'll be awesome and i I personally too i really like bill skarsgård i think he's um i'm not like a huge fan of the films but he's perfect as the clown and it he he really is um Mm -hmm. and i think he was in the one tv show castle castle rock i think and he was really spooky in it as well um even more so uh it'll be great seeing nicholas holt um i i like <laughs> I, I would i would bet a lot of money that nosferatu will get really great reviews mm. um and nicholas holt is such a good actor but like so many of his films mediocre reviews or like okay at the box office but disappointing like a lot of the x-men right mm. or i know i do know there was i think the menu last year he was in it and he got a lot of acclaim for it but um mm. it'll just be great seeing more i i really love him and um the uh 
the Dracula spinoff this year. I forget mm-hmm. his name, but it was it was really uh really there were good. two this it year. It was really um, well the, the one Nicholas Holt was in Rab, uh, Renfield. Renfield, yeah, and he played like from the book Renfield. Yeah. Um and did a really great job of it. And the film the really great reviews, uh, or at least good reviews, but it didn't do too well in the box office. So mm. I think uh Nosferatu will do good. And as a you know, a Nicholas Holt fan, I think it'll be That'll be great to see. Also, I'm one of the like, I think, what is it? I'm one of the 19% that actually um, <laughs> really enjoyed the uh, Lily Rose Depp and mm. uh, the weekend, uh, the the idol. I actually, I, I really, I really liked it myself. So it'll be good seeing Lily Rose Depp in something. And I think she'll do a great job, especially mm. for horror. She has a very scary, she's just good at being scary. Very scary. Um, Interesting. Evil. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Aaron Taylor Johnson, but uh, you know, <laughs> who knows? He might get killed in it, and that'll be fun, fun to view. Um, <laughs> William Defoe, I like William Defoe. Yeah, it's just got a lot of expectations for it. And uh, even though I don't think it'll be able to top the original film, the original film is amazing, like objectively. But it mm-hmm. is also so old. There'll be there'll be some just kind of objectively, at least visually some betterments in, in, in Nosferatu in comparison. Um, I'm not saying the cinematography, but like the, I guess, CGI, if there is any, or mm. the camera work. Um, yeah, it's got a lot, got a lot, I got a lot of hope for it. Nosferatu, Inter- 2024. Interestingly, uh, William Defoe's second encounter with Nosferatu material. Yes, The Lighthouse. He plays, I think he, he plays like two roles in it or something. He's, he's the... He's one, of the, he's one of the he's one of the lighthouse keepers, but no, he was in also in Shadow of the Vampire, where he played Max Shrek, who played Count Orlock in the original silent version of. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so he'll of be, Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, so similar. It's interesting. Yeah, uh, Robert Eggers. I don't again. He's someone who I don't think has made a bad movie, at least in my estimation. Like The Witch, I like The Lighthouse, I like The Northman, I like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, me too. So yeah, he's. It's interesting he would that he would go to Nosferatu. I, I think it's, it, it's. I bet he. I bet it inspired him when he was younger. I bet it's, it's totally within his aesthetic. I want yeah. yeah, I bet he's been wanting to do it for like a decade. Yeah, I, I bet think, it's that kind of thing. That kind of. Situation. I think it's. Yeah, I think. I think it might be a dream project for him. Um, I just hope he doesn't take his personal enjoyment of it into soul account. Well, I mean, that's the problem with dream projects, right? Uh, yeah, about yeah. I'm, I'm very curious how Metropolis will end up. That uh, uh, Coppola has been working on for. I think that's Megaopolis. I think that's the Mega film. Megaopolis. Yeah, Metropolis is already out. Yeah, you know, um, for for probably about a hundred years now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, my number three. Um, again, kind of uh, maybe not low, maybe not low brow, maybe middle brow. Uh, Furiosa, <laughs> a Mad Max saga, which is from George Miller, who's made all the Mad Max movies. A prequel um, slash spinoff to Mad Max Fury Road. Um, I've long believed that uh, prequel is the lowest form of uh, franchise filmmaking. But um, going into this, I was uh, skeptical, but the trailer came out a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I'll be damned if I wasn't impressed. It you know It's got a lot of that same action that uh, is familiar to Fury Road, a lot of the same vibe. Um, I, I was kind of disappointed that it's not like a sequel, so you don't get more Charlize Theron as Furiosa. But <laughs> Anya Anya Taylor Joy, pretty good young Furiosa from the looks mm-hmm. of it. 
Um, she's got a real intensity. Um, I, this is a chance for her, I think, to um, stand out as an action heroine. Um, she's kind of gotten close. Like she does some actiony stuff in the Northmen, and she also she was also in that New Mutants movie um, where she was one of the New Mutants. Yes. Um, so yeah, I it, it was good. I I I like the New Mutants. I mean, I I know that uh, it was like the last of a certain breed of of <laughs> X Men movies, but no, um, she's an impressive. Like she she rarely just disappoints Anya Taylor Joy. Speaking of the witch, um, but I mean the the action looks good. The music from the trailer, which uh, Junkie XL is back to score this one. He scored fury road as well um his music in that movie is so incredible it it like really stands on its own even if you're not watching the movie you can listen mm-hmm. to the soundtrack which is a mark of a good soundtrack is if the music can stand on its own um you get chris hemsworth in this as uh some kind of i think he's the main bad guy but um that'd be interesting he's also kind of a i guess a henchman to a morton joe who is the who was the bad guy in fury road um, but he has this fake nose and he has this kind of like pulpy kind of snotty accent of some kind. It, you know, it seems like he's really kind of playing on a character in this. And, you know, by the time you get to the trailer, you get this scene of uh, somebody in like a Roman era chariot uh, with a red cape flowing back being dragged by like two motorcycles. Um, I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'm in. I have no more reservations. <laughs> it just it seems like a good time um so well, i feel like yeah. all his films have, have gotten like i think all the mad maxes have gotten great reviews and everything right so yeah, i think thunderdome is I, I like the exception but it, i think it's been it's been more reappraised than it was um appreciated oh, the original yeah yeah the original original ones yeah yeah but i know but, like fury fury road did it did quite well fury road was I remember going to see that and just like being glued to this seat for two oh, hours. Absolutely. It's, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of like nostalgic fondness for the Mad Max movies. I just kind of went because, you know, it's, it, it was the new Mad Max and mm-hmm. I heard a lot of good things and just like being like, it was like literally that old RCA ad with the, the sound like blowing you to the back of the seat. Um, That was me the whole time watching Mad Max Fury Road. And it was over. And I was like, "Wait, that's the end! Holy jeez! Mm-hmm. Like, how long have I been here?" It's yeah. Um, I hope I hope that's kind of the the feeling. Like, there's just that concussive, pulsive, like two hour long chase. Um, that that was a rare treat. Fury Road, in terms of like a like a, a theatrical experience, mm-hmm. hard to duplicate at home. Although I have I have come around to enjoying Fury Road. In the comforts of home, but that that was like a weird, like you have to see this movie on the big screen kind of experiences. That's like, or it's maybe not a rare, but it, uh, it's it's one of those things where the best possible way to enjoy this movie is in a movie theater with a big screen and just like let just get enveloped by the energy of it, um, with like the the booming surround sound and the soundtrack and the the big action and the bright colors. And that's another thing. It's like it, it, that this one does too. It's brightly colored. It's a brightly colored movie. That's none of this chromey blue, black stuff that you get with a lot of movies. It's very colorful. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Oh yeah. No, me too. Yeah. I may, I may, you know, I'm still hoping for happy feet three, but uh, <laughs> I, can, I can handle Furiosa. Were, were there a lot of unanswered questions from happy feet too? 
Ah, uh, there was, there was. Okay. Well, we, yeah, I don't, I don't even think a single, because they're out in the Arctic, not a single narwhal or whale, whatever they're called. There's mm. just a lot of, I think, species they could bring about more in the Arctic and have them do some dancing. I understand. Maybe one day. Any honorable mentions before we go to break? Uh, no, not that I could think of. There's more uh, 2023s I haven't seen yet, like Maestro uh, and everything um, mm. that I'm excited for. But no, oh, you know what? You know what? Yes, uh, uh, Twister. I think Twister will be will be a lot of fun. You I, mean uh, Twisters? Twisters. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I have a feeling. I hope it doesn't happen. Mm. But I have a feeling some incident might happen again, where like a tornado hits the. Uh, I I just think I think the someone went down to check out the Titanic earlier this year, and like the their boat like crashed and that. I feel like there's yeah, going to be that happens of some twisters incident from its first release. I, I hope not. I hope not, but I have a feeling something's going to happen with twisters. I have a lot of misgivings about, um, twisters, but then I look at the cast. It's Daisy Edgar Jones, Glenn Powell, Anthony Ramos, Brandon Perea, uh, Maura Tierney, Sasha Lane, Keeman Shipka. Um, it's like, Oh yeah. Is- I forgot that. Uh, she's going to be in it. She's, um, this is a really great cast. Like, why are you why are you feeling this like morally bankrupt 30 years late sequel? It's <laughs> great cast. Um I bet a lot of them just maybe like liked it when they were younger. Who knows? I mean, me. I mean, the thing I looked at when I was looking at movies coming out next year, there's a, a new there's a omen prequel, the first omen. And like like wasn't like wasn't the f- first omen like the start of the omen? Like it was what happened before the omen that we now have a first omen. It yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. You, you there can never seems to be some sort of Lord of the Rings work coming about. Yeah, but... there's a Lord of the Rings movie next Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. In the meantime, we have the boy and the heron to review. So we're going to do that next. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Waiting for the flowers to return Logic to the last intention Logic in the way we care Holding on forever Singing as the floor was swayed. This world is filled with the dead. I know it's a lie, but I have to see. I'm looking for someone. Let's go. We must protect this world ourselves. Go back! Now! Michael! Michael! You and I aren't friends or allies, kid. Don't let go, no matter what. Ready? You see this world? There's more work to be done. 
okay so that was a clip from the boy and the heron it's the new film from writer and director hayao miyazaki and it stars the voice talents at least in the english version of luca padovan robert pattinson karen fukihara jenna chan christian bale mark hamill florence Pugh, and dave bautista and um there are a couple different versions so let's of of the boy and the heron in theater so let's start uh, with this one, Peter, did you watch the English dub or the Japanese with subtitles? I watched the uh, English dub. Uh, I usually go with just the original Japanese, especially in video games. Mm. Um, I, I, I always, you know, if it's a Japanese game, I, I usually play it uh, Japanese. Studio Ghibli is different, though. It's like here, oh, like Disney has a lot of power over it or some company. I think Disney. I don't know. Mm. Um and uh, they put so much money into the English voice acting that it's of just as good a quality. Um, mm-hmm. And video games and more low-budget animes like the Dragon Ball films mm. um, are not good dub. I'm not overall a dub fan, which is why I like Hayao Miyazaki. It's, it's special for me. It's, it's a time where that actually is done great. It really is. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing the original. Maybe it's even better. But no, I, I personally, I saw that. I saw the English. Okay, because uh, I saw I saw the uh, subtitles. Um, Very cool. All right, proper. Yeah, it's uh, the company uh, is called G Kids that releases the Miyazaki movies in uh, well in the United States and Canada. Cineplex, uh, Cineplex's movie distribution arm released um, the Boy and the Heron. So. Um, but it is the the, the American company G Kids that does the process of dubbing and everything. And it, like it's an impressive English language cast to be sure. I'm curious in your version, um, in in the Japanese version, the, the heron is voiced by uh, this actor Masaki Suda, and I looked him up, and he's like 30 years old, but he looks like he's 15. But he <laughs> he does the voice of the the heron with this like like gravelly like it sounds like he smokes five packs a day. It's not too far away from that. Okay. It's, it's it's very impressive performance from Robert Pattinson. Interesting. It's, uh, it, it, the, the gray hair is supposed to be a bit of like over at the end of the day, I guess he's not evil, but he's a bit of a, a jerk. Like he's not, he's not, he's a jerk. Nice. Yeah. He's, he's a he's jerk. Not great. He's not great yeah. to Mojito. And Robert Pattinson <laughs> does, he does a really great job with that. Um, And with his voice makes the herring seem like a, late middle age older which which i think is is the appropriate one for him yeah um no the english cast uh is just just as great as usual uh christian bale i think he's the main in um uh howl's moving castle uh he's mm-hmm. great he's um uh shochi uh mark hamill i'm not even you know like a huge fan but he's really great in it william mm-hmm. Dufoe. Mm-hmm. Um and uh the parakeet king uh so like later when they see that um Dave Batista mm-hmm. uh and he's yeah he's also marvelous in it um yeah it's, it's, it, it, it was really well done all the maids too I don't know let's see uh, Barbara Rosenblatt British mm-hmm. actress yes I know her from Origin New Black yeah it was good all around <laughs> as per usual for Studio Ghibli the uh the voice casting uh is done well very well mm-hmm. okay so. I think so now that we've established that I mean I'm not sure language really matters with with generally speaking with Miyazaki movies but even with this one in particular I think that I've seen a lot of commentary online it's like it was the story hard to follow I'm like I'm not really sure it is because I, I think it's 
it's pretty straightforward um it's semi-autobiographical um it's about a boy it just takes place during world war ii japan there's a fire at a hospital his mom dies in the fire his father then takes him to live in the countryside which is something that happened to miyazaki too is he went to live in the countryside during world war ii he lived in tokyo and that's like uh, clear in all his works too yeah um his father like um mojito's father and in, in the boy and the heron worked in uh airplane manufacturing um so they go to the countryside uh his father is going to marry his wife's younger sister. Um, so uh, his his aunt is going to be, uh, for Mahito, his, his aunt is going to be a stepmother. She's already pregnant with uh, a little brother or sister. And so they um, live on this huge estate. There are seven maidens, uh, fairly <laughs> pointed, seven dwarfs reference, I think, Um from Miyazaki, who's often called the Walt Disney of uh, yeah. Japanese animation. Yeah. Um, and I and think just like fantasy too, it's usually seven dwarves. It's it's it's, it's a solid the number. Brother, probably, yeah. yeah. It's a solid number. <laughs> um, and then so ma- I think a magical one too. Sure, lucky, seven. lucky, lucky number seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So he's. Poor uh, Mahito is feeling lonely. He's being bothered by this heron who keeps like flapping by him and talking to him. And uh, he eventually has enough. And uh, he shoots the heron in the beak. Um, you, thanks to a uh, an arrow he made from feathers uh, from the heron. But at this point, he goes into this magical tower that was built by his grand uncle in the past or his grand uncle brought it to life or something um but inside or it's t- just his imagination as a young little lad you know chronicles and narnia sort of thing but yes um, yes but in, either way the tower is a gateway to a magical world where he yep. has magical adventures um including a number of man-eating birds which um seems to be a theme in this film is beware man-eating birds there's um there's not a lot of humor in this. There is some humor, but one of the funniest th- scenes is when uh, they're taking uh, Mahito and uh, Himi to uh, to to see um, the ant, and the parakeets are walking behind them with cleavers because they're just they're just so eager to eat people. It's, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. Subtle. No, I always one of my favorite things in yeah the Miyazaki's is the uh, the little creatures, and this one mm. is the first in a while where it's most like spirited away, where there's just such a vast amount of interesting ones. Yeah. Uh, and even if they're not like fantastical, um, just like the the scene where the frogs go all over his face and everything. There's just so oh much, yeah, there's just so much animal life in this one, and and I really enjoy it. And that also just further shows like he definitely was raised in a country area. I actually can't <laughs> think of any miyazaki that's set in a major city even spirited away yes it's a city but mm-hmm. it's a city from like it seems more like uh like a it's a country city like it's still mm-hmm. you know there's no pavement road or and it's not like akira or something you know and i enjoyed it i enjoyed it here i think the boy and heron was a pretty perfect uh mixture of like every classic miyazaki theme and and action you know it deals with the death like the uh the uh, war one i think is most recent deals with um, uh the wind rises yeah yeah the wind rises yeah um, it's it seems like a shake and bake miyazaki where he's like playing with a lot of different elements including himself because uh when the 
he lost when, his mom. That's that's the yeah. whole thing. And he's mentioned himself many times how um how difficult loss is. And not just that, but and I don't know if I fully agree with you know gen- bringing gender into it, but how difficult little little boys' minds can be. And it was a part of this too. Mm. Confusion of of loss and everything. Um But it's not just yeah. that, it's it's on the other end of it because uh the granduncle to me, he looked like Miyazaki. Like that's a very pointed allusion to himself. So and you, the, do you think the little lad's like Goro? Goro, Goro the lead is Goro Miyazaki. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, there, there's, a, you get to the end, and the the granduncle's talking about how someone from his bloodline needs to inherit this world that inside the tower that he's made, and um, but you can't bring malice into it, and this is like a very pointed, like you have to sort of. I guess be of like pure of heart, I guess, um, which is kind of like a Disney thing. But he he says like you can't bring malice into it, um, which is kind of an, a different way of looking at it. The same idea, but um, he's talking about how this thing he's created it's it's very unstable and it needs like you know someone who who's able to like stabilize things and 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 realize it. Um, but then he's also okay with letting the whole thing fall apart in the end which again it seems very pointed in terms of like the legacy of studio ghibli this thing miyazaki's created that his son has been <laughs> I, for to me take over that, for 20 years <laughs> uh, at the same time though spirited away she doesn't stay in that area it's something that is very common in miyazaki films altogether my neighbor totoro kind of ends with them being chill with their new home and with their family and everything they're not now driving around in the totoro like on a daily basis you know so i think that's part of the reason for this film it's 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 the idea of um growth and change and yeah learning from this new environment but not necessarily having to stay there Mm -hmm. um so i think i think it's okay that it it kind of the, the ending is him being just kind of dipping <laughs> um because they're they're also they're, they're like people that are gone right whereas his uh mother-in-law and his father um and those you know women that they live with are, are very much still in his life and um mm. he should focus on that and be you know a good boy and i think that's that's the intent and i think it pays off well um there's so much fantasy though and there's so many parts that aren't based around Miyazaki's past that I didn't find it pretentious or anything. No, um, I know the Fablemans. A few people found it a little pretentious, although still like a great film. I found this one; it was like a perfect mixture of what he dealt with and and uh, you know just the film, the fantasy, the 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 additions to it. Um, Fablemans yeah. is an interesting comparison because Fablemans is very much. Um, Spielberg making a Spielberg movie out of his life, and I feel like. But it's is... great, though. It's great. It's just the first that came to my mind. It is phenomenal, though. No, but I think this is the same way. He, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, made a Miyazaki movie about his life, um, and it's dealing with like a lot of things, like that. That he's probably thinking about looking backwards, and like the the, the metaphor about how the grand uncle has created this world. And Miyazaki has also created a little world. I mean, that feels very pointed. And as you know, it would be a very weird movie if if uh, Mahito had stayed and like, just, oh yes, I will take over the world. world. I'll just ditch my dad and you know my stepmom. Yeah. And 
whatever um yeah there's a big world war happening i'll i'll find out what happens but you, you know it, it it just it feels like it's there's something going on here uh about his his own ambivalence about what happens to his legacy especially now that like we, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning this is a big big success this is probably going to be his biggest um I mean, it's already a huge hit in Japan, and every Miyazaki movie is a huge hit in Japan. And we're coming off what was a very good weekend for Japanese movies, because you have Miyazaki at number one. Uh, you have Godzilla in number... I think Godzilla was number three. So um, it, it's quite a moment for, for Japan that you have two Japanese movies in the top three of the box office, and it's coming here at the end of... Well, not the end of Godzilla's career. That's still a lot of Godzilla left to come. But, uh, <laughs> definitely at near the end of Miyazaki's career. Although rumor has it he's now working on another film. That I mean, oh, this is I, that was total B B. Like it, he's not done. No way. Yeah. He just. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking, even saying that. I don't know why but, directors um, announced hey, their if retirement. It was, if it was, it's a good good conclusion, I would say. But um, I'm okay yeah. doing more as well. Well, that's the thing is we've got these, you know. We mentioned the Fablemans. There's this. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon is another one that's like, this seems like a good place to leave it on. But um, yes, it, yes. It's, it's it's highly unlikely that any of those directors are done. Um, But yeah, it's... The other thing I'll say about this too is just to, to remark, that there is something really great, just generally speaking, about seeing an old-fashioned animated movie on the big screen again. Oh, instead of, yeah, like 3D CGI. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's all still, um, yeah, and that's, like, like illustrated. That, that, that's nothing against the 3D. And I, you know, but we mentioned Wish earlier. Something about the style to that that seemed purposely to like evoke the old hand drawn animation, even though they're still doing computer animation. But like this, where there is a definite artistry, where there's uh, like the scenes where he's having flashbacks about the fire, where it's just kind of like baroque and just jarring and disoriented. Mm-hmm. That that's that's an effect you can really only get with the hand animated style. Um, the way he sets up shots, like it feels it's like, like it's so weird it's animated, but the cinematography is amazing. Whenever he yeah. enters the. Uh, whatever the the new land the 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 fantasy world the um uh arch kind of door is like just so huge and he's so small and it's just so dark and very medieval looking it's just a really great atmosphere given um and i mean like the actual just like structures presented um the nature it it, it's remarkable and i think too it's because you don't have to focus on 3d so there's Mm -hmm. a lot more depth you can give to to the 2d you know the the one layer that you've got there yeah yeah and it's staged and it's kind of storyboarded like he was planning on making a live action movie like you you get a real sense that he was like what if you know we're filming this scene of him on the the landing of the stairs like where would i put the camera i i was kind of struck by that several times just in terms of like clocking the filmmaking it, it he he thinks about things as if he were going out into a set somewhere or going out into a location somewhere and filming them. So th- there's a yeah. kind of real, there's a real grounding in sort of the way he understands that because I, I think a lot of North American animated films are, are so focused on like showing off or like drawing attention to the craft and drawing attention to 
just how awesome our animation is that um you kind of you kind of lose that personal touch it, it doesn't it's so busy drawing attention to itself you don't it doesn't let you get lost in the fantasy and there are some incredible fantastic elements to this but it always always feels very grounded too it it feels you you, you always feel very centered in the action whether that's happening in the real world or the fantasy world and that that's a that's a real gift that miyazaki has as a as an artist yeah no being able to relate to the character and uh, enjoy and feel like you're in the world even though it is like we're talking about a fantasy right it's mm -hmm. it's wonderful um and uh yeah even um, not just the outside and just the nature like inside like the dad's the dad's like place mm. just like looking at like the shelves itself mm. there's just so many layers there's just so many amazing things to look at um <laughs> it's the it's the kind of a film like i could watch it in mute blast some music and it would still be such a phenomenal ride yeah. um dialogue's amazing i'm not going to do that i'm just saying that would be great too um, <laughs> yeah uh, uh and and you know i like i like the ending too um and i don't know if it's intentional but it also is a nice comment on like japan is still the hierarchy system like patriarch is still very strong so it's mm. nice seeing him you know not not go on with that um good I, I don't know if that's an intentional comment but uh that's kind of what came to my mind and i uh, i thought it was a good addition yeah the father's almost secondary to this because it's it's about how mojito relates or uh, you know how he misses his mother how he relates to his aunt slash stepmother mm -hmm. um and also how he relates to like these seven handmaidens or these seven maidens these um older women who are who it's, it's never exactly clear what their relationship is um whether they're <laughs> family or they're just sort of people who are live on the property um but that's that's always fascinating too it's, it's very it's very much about how he relates to sort of um the female influences in his life like you know dad's always down at the factory or off doing whatever so it's mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting lampshade on on that too yeah, well, all these women in his life, adult ones, but that aren't his mom, right? And some difficulties of that, but also in a weird way how he also is lucky in that sense. You know, all these people mm. are here to care for him too. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think there's a bit of commentary about that as well, that it, as this war was going on, he was able to have some relative normalcy um, as, I mean, keep in mind, Jap uh, Japan lost the war. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah pretty, right I, always, I never really think of that <laughs> yeah, right. so you know he has this kind of like idealist uh, idealistic setting as sort of the empire of japan is falling down around him mm -hmm. um and it, it's interesting that there's kind of no commentary on that you know, that you know it just uh the end of the movie flash forwards two years and they're just going back to tokyo and it's you know that's life you know you lost the war yeah. and going home going back to the city from whence you came <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know if any of his films have dealt with the um, Kirishima and Nagasaki, but um, mm. you know, at the same time, is that necessarily a bad thing? He's focusing on the individuals, um, and wars come and go, right? They yeah, there's there's so much going on in this movie. It, it's it it was a, a treat to watch, but we will have to unfortunately leave that there. Uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to it again by downloading it every Friday from our website, endcreditsradioshow.com, from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or through your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. 
When you're on Spotify, you can also find a playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. For news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And Peter, where else can people find you out there on the internet? Uh, Peter Wesley Salmon on Good Old Letterbox and Mr. Towerack on YouTube and Twitter. All right. And a couple of public service announcements here. Candace and I will be doing Breezy Breakfast tomorrow morning. Um, that's sort of live and in person down at Rise and Shine. We're going to be talking about movies of the year with uh, the, the folks at the Breezy Breakfast. That's going to air on Monday on CFRU. And uh, and then next week on this show, we're doing the annual movie Christmas movie music special. And then that will be followed the next week by our top five of 2023. And that is with the whole gang. And in the meantime, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, well, Campus and Community Radio. And as I just stated, the show will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more edition of End Credits, and we will see you then.